0: This is the Mindful Experiment podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment as. This episode, I had a wonderful interview with Brian Weaver, who is the CEO of Torch AI. In this episode, we talked a lot about building systems and businesses and how things are more important to focus on the team that you have and using their genius and what drives them, what fears drive them, um, rather than looking at skill set and so much more. We talk about Torch, we get into AI technology a little bit, the problems that his company is solving, the the issues with data. But also, just understand, we shared a little bit about fear, and we got into fear of failure, fear, fear of letting our families down, and so much more. And um, I felt like this this episode really brings out a lot of emphasis on some of the things we face. I mean, he, he's a, Brian's a serial entrepreneur. I'll talk about that in just a minute as I share his bio. And I had asked him the question, you know, how do you, you know managing one is enough? How do you do three, four, five, six, and so forth? And uh, you'll hear him talk about that. And I think the elements of what he shared there can be applied in every aspect of our life. It doesn't have to be just in business. So before we get to the episode, Brian serves as the CEO of Torch AI and has more than twenty years of experiencing leading mission-driven, high-growth, technology-focused companies. Torch AI helps in le- leading in organizations leveraging. Artificial intelligence in a unique way via proprietary enterprise data management software solution. Today, Torch AI supports clients like H and R Block with fraud detection and mitigation, and the U.S. Department of Defense, which machine learning enabling uh, enabled background investigations for all federal employees, supporting the determination of an individual's trustworthiness and security credentialing. Prior to Torch AI, Brian launched or acquired several companies, all focused on technology-enabled services and data connectivity. His company's service... Served nearly 1300 clients and have been recognized as small business of the year by the great Kansas city chamber of commerce. Brian's ha- Brian has been featured in forest magazine for concepts around data encapsulation using blockchain technologies. He received the defense innovation award at Ditech two- in 2017. Brian gave the commencement speech for the 2019 class at his alma mater, Northwest Missouri state university, where he earned a degree in communications minoring in philosophy. Uh, he has raced numerous Ironman competitions at an elite amateur level in the U.S. and Europe, ranking as high as number one in the world for the class. He lives in Kansas City with his wife of 20 years and two teenage daughters. With any further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I have. Here is Brian Weaver. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, man, glad to be here. Thank you.
0: I, I love the convo we had prior to getting on. I'm excited to dive deep with you in this next 30 minutes or so, or whatever it takes us. But before we we get into that, I always like to ask people uh, this question: and that is, how did you get into doing what you're doing today? What's that journey? What's that story?
1: Oh man, it goes back to when I was a kid. I mean, I was uh, I was frustrated. I wanted to work. I love working. Um, I've got a, a busy brain, and I've I've always been. You know, sort of had the curse of ambition, and I don't mean that in a gratuitous way. Uh, I was frustrated when I was a kid; I couldn't get a job. I was too young, and so um I actually built a lawn mowing business with a friend of mine. And um, yeah, I was later when I when I got my first job out of college. I, I was kind of an entrepreneur, um, trying to start up uh, little business units inside a very very large employer. And, and you know, there's plenty of antibodies against that. And I started my journey really. Um, out of frustration, I was, I was actually reprimanded at work for doing a good job. uh, And I was sort of shocked. I saw the world in a completely different way. Uh, My employer who was sort of, you know, based in Miami, Florida, but, but with office up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and a bunch of New York managers that would sort of uh, fly down to Miami uh, every week and and all this stuff, they just couldn't believe, um, you know, that I was coming up with, you know, strange things to do that would produce revenue. Uh, and I got reprimanded for it. I got so physically upset. I almost cried in the guy's office and, and I'm, you know, a, a masculine man's man, but I, it, it sort of affected me. And I said, you know, uh, to heck with this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on my own. And, and it, it was almost just, I was never built for uh, big company bureaucracy and infrastructure. Um, I was built to sort of built to sort of, you know, break things and, and try new things. And so, you know, I just was lucky that I figured it out, you know, uh, before it was too late in my early twenties when I really founded my first company and, and got to, got to work.
0: I love that. And so you're, you're a serial entrepreneur, correct? I just want to make sure I have that correctly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've probably, I've acquired, started, founded, closed, uh, you know, more than a dozen companies, um, and, and have had a pretty good track record of success. Um, But yeah, I, I I think I meet that definition. Um, I, I own three companies today, um, and uh, I'm a shareholder in a couple more, and and I am the CEO of one, chairman of another, um, and so I, I think I meet that classic definition. Yeah, I'm no, no Elon, Elon Musk though. I'm not Elon <laughs> Musk, but I, I'm like a junior <laughs> version.
0: Yeah. Hey, you're doing it. That's what matters, and 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 that that's just amazing. You know, just one business is is something to take on that is going to be you know a work involved, and you got multiple. So you know, kudos to you on that. Um, What has been, you know, one of the challenges that you've faced having? Well, let's go with the multiple business side. So what is the challenges you face having multiple businesses that uh, – how do you keep things in balance, in other words? Because some people hear, wow, one he's got multiple. So how does he keep things in balance?
1: Yeah, you know, what I found is uh, I, I have this bottomless bucket of energy. Um, you know, in fact, when I first set out to found uh, the company that I'm the CEO of today, Torch, which is uh, far and away my biggest success – uh, and and really uh, one of the most exciting companies I think in technology today. Um, I was racing Ironman, you know, as a as an outlet for my energy, and so so it's kind of an interesting thing when you are. Uh, and again, I don't say this pat myself on the back because this is much as much a blessing as it is a curse. But when you're blessed with, uh, you know, ideas and and being a bit of an innovator um, and seeing opportunities, both good and bad. Um, you can't turn that off. And so what I found is that actually um, a person like myself can be disruptive in a business uh, by creating too much optionality and, and the business, if you're not mature, uh, which I've, I've learned to be, I wasn't always as mature as I am today, but an immature version of me wants to do everything, right? I want to do too many things. Um, It's just my nature. And what I've learned over the years is the critical thing is how do you build a team where you can complement each other? Because most people are wired uh, to sort of remove risk and mitigate risk and build, um, you know, nice, linear, sustainable systems that are repeatable and scalable. And and what's interesting about a person like me is I'm a I'm a violent action, uh, get a business off the ground kind of guy. I'm just wired for that. Um, and that's great. You absolutely need that, especially in a startup environment where there's there's a, a amazing things being done in the world today by by these you know kind of visionary startups and entrepreneurs. But the key is they very rarely make the move into, you know, really touching the lives of of a lot of humans in the world. And And why is that? It's because they haven't figured out how to build a team. Uh, to build really a scalable solution. It isn't about the product necessarily. The product could be scalable. What you really need is the organization, the way the human beings inside the company interact and and trust each other and hold each other accountable. That's a structure. Um, And so what I've learned is that uh, I personally need uh, these sort of creative outlets, Um, but the lesson is your business Cannot be that outlet, right? You you either need to have an extracurricular activity, which hopefully that's a healthy one, um, or you've got to make sure that you've got opportunities to kind of move through problems that need to be solved. And you know, certainly as a startup, um, you're you're that's all you're doing. I mean, you're signing up for you know a bottomless pit of problem solving, which is 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 also good. Um, I own a, a almost fifty year old. Uh, Company that focuses on uh, medical intelligence, medical device uh, market informatics, and that business does not need the same level of innovation as an as an artificial intelligence business. So, um, my focus there on the, the limited amount of time that I spent on that business is really helping them innovate uh, in in you know maybe non traditional ways, product design, uh, you know accountability measures, incentives. Um, you know uh, M&A strategies and things like that Uh, you know where it's let it's it's much more of a long horizon kind of focus so anyway I, I think the 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 net of all of that is just, you got to be self-aware so that's the thing I've learned Um, you know what is your superpower figure out what that is but then also understand very deeply how that could harm your aspiration of building something great I mean some you know there's a lot of small companies um, but there's very few successful uh companies that really improve the lives of a lot of other people. And and that's my aspiration and, and I think uh it took me a long time, many years to learn some of these lessons about maturity and, and understanding you, you know, how you fit in an organization and then also again fundamentally appreciating others' gifts. Um, I mean that's just you know, we can go on and on about that as you can tell, but I think that's the secret. Um, You know, whether you're a a, a middle manager working inside a large company or you're you know starting your first startup, um, that's lesson number one. It'll make you money and it'll it'll save your marriage and make you a happier person for sure.
0: I couldn't agree more. And that's such great advice you're sharing here. Um, What is you you brought up limitless energy? I'm curious to see what are some of the things you do Ah. to uh, keep that going? because uh, I, I mean, I, I, I share this often to people and they think I'm crazy. They're like you have limits to your energy. I'm like, no, you don't have limits to your energy unless you think you do. Um, there are things that, you know, there are ways. I'm just curious to hear about yours.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I grew up in a military household and I uh, hang around Navy seals a little bit uh, these days. And, and they have an adage that uh, when you're ready to quit, you still have 60% left in the tank. Um, and it's kind of an interesting thing. So I, I learned this, uh, you, you know, doing endurance sports like Ironman, where I was pretty successful. Um, And until you push your body sort of to the breaking point, uh, and then you realize, oh, I do have some energy left in the tank, you really, you know, you're really not aware of how amazing uh, your brain and your body can be. And so, you know, one of those things is like, what's fatigue really mean? I certainly need to take mental breaks. And I'm an introvert. I, I recharge by being quiet and solitary. I don't recharge by being around a lot of people. And so in the company or companies, uh, I'm around people all the time. Um and so I need to have I need to be aware of, of how to recharge. But, you know, I think uh when you're building a business, um, you know, kinda like an Iron Man race, it's long and uh there's multiple stages and you've got to meter out your energy uh in smart ways. And you also have to realize, you know, Um, there's going to be moments where the business is going to move a little slower than you. And that might be the time to, to, to decouple for a couple of days. But, um, for me, I would be happy working, you know, 120 hours a week and bombarding people with ideas and concepts and things we need to work on. And, um, you know, but, but that's not sustainable for most people. And so what you end up doing is sort of tempering some of that and you end up scheduling uh, messages during business hours and all these other things so that, you know, you're not wearing your team out. Um, but I mean, uh, when, you, when you have a startup, when you, when, you're, when you found a company, you're kind of signing up for, you know, many years of uh, long days and sleepless nights and stressing over things. And I think you have to get joy out of that. Uh, and if that's the case, then you don't think of it as work. I mean, I don't believe in work-life balance, for example, I just believe in life. Um, and I don't I see them as being one and the same. and and I've built a business and built a career for myself that gives me joy. Um, and so that's why I think there are no limits to to your energy there um, if you've got that kind of alignment.
0: No, I couldn't agree with you more on it. I mean, I love the whole the Navy SEAL thing where, you know, 60% when you're you're you're, you're gassed, you still have sixty percent left in the tank. I mean, your your muscles, uh, when you when you're lifting or moving something, it's only a third of the max strength of what it can do. And so sometimes when you think about working out and you're you're moving iron or just move whatever it may be, it, it's like there's only a third that's really being utilized. Now, there's reasons for that. Um, but it it's it kind of interesting in that way. And and you brought up something else I, I appreciate is the whole, this whole thing about work-life balance. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't really like that terminology because life's never really in balance. And, but you you said it in a different way, which I like is it's just life, you know, and, mm-hmm. and this is something I share a lot when it comes to how to have limited, en- limitless energy, how to always be like, you know, always have, like you have energy to do things all the time. And, um and it's one of those things where when you see it in that perspective yeah you're always going to be you're going to be inspired you're not motivated to do things you're inspired to do things and that inspiration is going to continue to fuel every time you do more of these things the more fuel you're going to have um where motivation there's only a certain amount in the tank and you're going to either need external motivation to continue to do more or else you're just going to have to wait till the reserves are built back up
1: it's interesting like the this the notion of inspiration i think is part of it right um i actually maybe am more pessimistic uh or maybe more pragmatic the the what i believe is that everybody's running from something and uh it's you know and i want to get skewered for having this poor outlook on humanity or life or, or my own uh my own existence but i think that uh there's almost more of a basal human need for safety and security that drives a lot of the behavior. Um, like I have massive fear of failure, right? the, The more successful I get, the more opportunities I have, the more fearful I am that I'll fail at achieving like whatever the ultimate version of the potential of whatever I'm working on at that time is, you know, uh, like a Torch, we think we can fundamentally change the world. We see an opportunity uh, where there's been this degradation of humanity because of data and gaps in technology, and we think we can solve that. And so, you know, that aspiration is what creates the problems. I mean, as funny as that is, the fact that we aspire to do something tremendous creates the stress and, and frustration and fear of failure, fear of missing out, all the, all the, the, the F words, right? uh and so i think it's it's more like and again uh, certainly i love the concept of inspiration but i think it's more are you aware are you in touch with uh what's really motivating you as a human you know um and and for me it's definitely fear of failure you know and because i i can imagine this is when i say serial entrepreneur and kind of innovator and all that stuff. I see opportunities everywhere, but I also see all the pitfalls like really, really fast. It's a blessing and a curse. The worst thing about sort of, you know, my innate, uh, uh, gift, I guess, is that I see all of the the pitfalls and, and I see the, you know, the thing burning to the ground with the same clarity and detail as I do the success of it. Um, and so anyway, I think, uh, I think, For me, when I've unlocked personal wealth, when I've unlocked personal performance, it's been really solely, singly, because I've become better aware of of what really motivates me, and I have an appreciation for what motivates others. Um, So anyway, I I think it's an interesting thing. It it, it, it unlocked potential for me in a huge way, just being in touch with what was really driving my emotional state. How does... uh, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, not to get too, you know, <laughs> too, too squishy with you, but anyway.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's perfectly fine. So, how then? You know, looking at that, right? Because you, I love how you brought up the whole aspect of the more success and this and that. That fear of failure kept, you know, kept showing up. How? What are things that you do to overcome that and not let it paralyze you?
1: Yeah, it's a great uh a great question. Uh I think the, the the reality is it does paralyze you. It's just how long does it? And so you know, it's kind of weird. Um I I don't I'm not afraid of uh going broke or any of that kind of stuff. Like that's it's not that kind of motivation and I I don't think that ever is. Like that's not the thing that most people are afraid of, you know, running out of money for example or whatever. It's more like you know what happens if that happens and it's uh one of the things that i found was i i had some some struggles uh with building teams um so you're building a high technology company and one of the hardest things is you've got this cocktail of personalities and work styles and attitudes about things and and software engineers in particular their superpower is studying and understanding kind of what's been done so that they can improve uh, what they're building. Um, And so these are, you know, genius people that I'm surrounded with today that uh, are massively skilled in understanding how things get built and how things have been built historically. They're very organized in their thought process and approach because it it eliminates a lot of risk and rework, right? Which is the, the curse of of uh, software developers, right? Having to rewrite, uh, rewrite code, or writing code that never gets deployed to a customer, and you know all these things that, that frustrate these kind of geniuses. Um, but they also like to build, right? Um, they they like to be involved in in uh, in specifying how things get built. And so when you start thinking about that kind of person, well, that's completely opposite. Uh, more of a creative person that isn't so focused on history and, and what's been done is really thinking out and they're having a brain that really just sees the future with not much regard for what's been done in the past, uh, is much more willing to take risk and try new things, new approaches to getting something done. So you just think of those two, two people. Both of them have superpowers, but they're diametrically opposed. And so how are they ever going to talk the same language? It, it doesn't happen. Uh, and it actually causes most of the frustration in companies today. Like culture is a big thing. But no one really says, well, you know, what creates a toxic culture? Uh, my argument is it's simply the friction that exists between the, the work styles and the, the the approaches to life that these two, you know, primarily these two groups of people have. And in software companies today, which, by the way, uh, every company is almost a software company. Every company is almost a data company, right? Uh, IT teams have, have exploded in the average company uh data is being put to use to to solve problems and make decisions uh and so you got tech firms doing this but you also have uh large employers that are building tech teams and are are fundamentally tech enabled and so you have this friction uh, all over the place and and uh, you wonder why job satisfaction and happiness and all this other stuff starts degrading there's a bunch of these contributors but what i figured out was that if i understood me and I understood what my, what was motivating my fear, uh, I would be a better partner to those people. And then an evolved state of that is, Hey, you know, now that I know how I behave and what my talent is, um, I really want to understand and appreciate how these other people are approaching, uh, their life, uh, their work and what their fears are. And then when, when those fears manifest, how do they show up? Um, and so I think it's like, if I can be aware of what's driving me in the, in, in, my case, it was, I didn't want to let my wife and family down, but I didn't realize it at the time. It was causing me massive stress in the business. I didn't, I was, I was running into these moments of friction where I was trying to push the whole uh, enterprise a certain direction. And I had some resistance, uh, but it wasn't, I thought it was them. I thought they just didn't get it, but really it was me hundred percent. It was, it was my inability to appreciate their fears, their approach to, to their work. Uh, that was the real stumbling block. And once I recognize that, Hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, this is really what's creating my, uh, emotional state, my stress, I could solve for that. Uh, and then I could turn to the rest of the team and, and, uh, appreciate them for their gifts and then figure out how, uh, how we could work together, uh, in a more cohesive way. So I think that's kind of the process, frankly. Um, I've certainly lived it myself, so it's very acute for me, but, um, I'm telling you my personal wealth went up ten x. Uh, when I realized that in a relatively small period of time, uh, my happiness went up, uh, went through the roof. I mean, uh, all of the those you know normal markers of success uh, were all improved by just, I don't know, kind of recognizing and and working through it.
0: I just want to take a quick break here and just share with you, if you've been enjoying this episode, please do me a huge favor and just share it with a friend, a family member, someone that you know would benefit or enjoy listening to this just like you are. If this is your first time listening to the episode, please subscribe if you haven't done so already. It allows you not to miss another update or episode release that we do. If you're enjoying this, please do me a huge favor and sh- share a review on whatever platform that you listen to at uh, the podcast on. It, it helps expand our reach and our mission out there and so much more. Now, let's go ahead and let's get back to the show. I love that. What a story on that. And I love the systematic approach to that. It's, excuse me, it's one of those things where, you know, you brought up something that I just touching on is that it was the fear of letting down your family was more uh, of a driving force that it was really what it was rather than what was showing up. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but absolutely correct. But I didn't, it didn't register that that was really what the issue was. I was so frustrated With some of the interactions in the business, but I didn't really take the time to study why I was frustrated. That was the key.
0: Yeah. I wanted to touch on that because it's so important in so many ways. Cause like, I I can relate to that. Like my thing is I don't care what show, what I go through, what's going to be the thing. It's, it's, it's what, you know, letting my family down is what's the biggest, that's the factor. Like, that is what I care about. Like, if I had to do whatever shows up, it's like, all right, fine, whatever. I'll deal with it. We'll figure it out. This too shall pass. You know, it's not going to stay here forever. But to let down my family, that's a whole, that's some weight that hits home. And, and, and it's a gut check in many ways. And it's like, nope, I never want that to happen. I never, I always tell my wife all the time, I'm like, you're the one person I want to make the most proud of. And, yeah. You know, and, and and I always want you to be proud of me. No matter what. Well, it's
1: hard, too, because you're sort of trained to have this tough-as-nails persona. And I'm stubborn, man. I'm as stubborn as they come. Um, And, you know, the other part was, like, once you recognize it, learning to be a little vulnerable and letting people inside, you know, that, that tough shell that's sort of been, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, man, I've had as many or more failures as I've had successes. And so you build up this, you know this armor um and so the cosmos reinforces a bunch of interesting behaviors um but but if you can figure out how to just be vulnerable with people a little bit and share with them a little bit of what's uh driving you and you frame it the right way it's magic it's magic and it's how you build great teams high levels of trust uh you start performing maybe at a you know an incredible uh, rate i mean i think that's at the end of the day, it's people, man. People say it all the time and give it lip service, but that's all it is. That's all any of this is.
0: No, it's so true, and and I think there's there's this power in being vulnerable. That is, I always say you're just you're you're allowing your humanness to come out more, and it, I think there's just natural senses within our body that picks up on that. And when you truly see it authentically or just f- you'll feel it, then all of a sudden people want to, oh, they open up and it lowers their guard and then there's more opportunity to share. And then when you share at that level, there's like some depth there now. And all of a sudden it, there's trust that develops from there and it allows for things just to grow and expand and, and so forth. And when you have that energy vibing like that, 10x, well, 10x this, it, it's going to happen uh, because of kind of those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right.
0: So one of the things that we were chatting about a little bit before getting on and we were talking about the element of, you know, I, I, I am so curious to ask you this question because, you know, you got Torque AI, you're doing and so forth. And how is it to p- put a team together that are all geniuses, like you said, and then yet to work with each of them to solve massive problems? Like you said, you're going to change, you know, I, I, I'm going to mess up it up. But I'll let you re-say it. The, the reason why Torque is Torque AI exists again you're going to change the world I wasn't, Yeah,
1: it? so uh, so I founded Torch to solve a big problem that we that, that that I observed and and so frankly I I started a company doing, you know, large-scale data analytics for clients like GE and Microsoft and it it just got too hard and too expensive uh, and it was unsustainable to produce any sort of operational capability or analytic result, uh, with consistency. And so when I saw that problem and I'm, it was very visceral, right? Because I was literally lighting my own money on fire. When I say my family, letting them down, I'm, I'm lighting my family's money on fire, trying to figure this problem out. Um, and, and the light bulb went on because, uh, what, what we discovered was that we could use machine learning, um, you know, basically machines, uh, figuring out how to solve the impediments with the, the complexity of data, right? Data is too hard to use. Like everybody on that's listening today can uh, relate to like opening up a PDF and searching for something or going into your Dropbox and searching for a file and and you can't find it because it's not labeled right. And you know, it's it's all clunky and, you know, I got buckets of stuff everywhere. Well, look at the average enterprise. You multiply that by a thousand. And, you know, an enterprise is only able to utilize 2% of its data. 90% of an enterprise's data is unstructured, messy, like photographs, PDF documents, emails, blobs of text. And so those two things, 2% uh, of, of the data your company has is being used and 90% of all of the data is messy. I mean, it, it's almost this is what I say, it's a crime against humanity. There's this degradation of humanity. It used to be that, that machines, like in the eighties when when Apple came along and said, Hey, we're gonna we're launching you know the Apple computer and and you know, we're gonna let you be creative. Um, and here's a tool that's gonna help you improve your productivity and improve your ability to be creative. I mean, people went nuts for it. It was like one of the most successful ad campaigns in history. Um, and then fast forward, I mean, fast forward a couple decades, and what's happened now? Most jobs suck. Uh, and they suck because people are the gap fillers for technology. You got a bunch of tools everywhere, they don't work right, they don't talk to each other. And so the easy solution is a a, a poor person that's got a, a, a genius brain gets stuck in a job that's mundane, you know, filling the gap between technology and oh, by the way. It used to be that humans created a bunch of data. Now machines are creating data. There's 2.4 uh, internet devices, IOT devices per human on the planet today. So there's just this deluge of data and it's more complex than it's ever been. And so humans are parsing and sorting information. Humans are filling gaps of technology. And it was like we said, wait a minute, wait a minute. No one's paying attention to sort of the infrastructure that all this stuff rides on. What if we just made all this data machine readable and available to humans uh, to just ask simple questions, uh, anything you want to know, you know, hey, what's, how's this product performing today? Uh, how's this cohort of customers performing against this particular skew? Uh, how can I uh, avoid churn of these type of customers? How can I solve big problems? I've got security risks, you know, we're we're big in, in the federal government for mitigating and solving uh, massive national security challenges. Uh, and it's just because we make data easier to use and more available. So. That was the genius behind Torch, uh, and, and we're one of, I think, the most exciting artificial intelligence companies uh, in the world because we're actually doing applied AI, uh, uh, more enterprise focused, generalized models, um, and it's pretty exciting. But putting a team together to kind of you know, take a bite of that elephant is very, very hard. Uh, so we go in and, and, the first thing we do is we assess how someone makes decisions. You know, do they need to look at the past? Are they living in the future? Like myself, uh, what mode do they start in? How do I build a team that has a mix of people like that, right? People that, uh, are good researchers and auditors, people that are really, uh, systems and, and, and sort of schedule oriented people that are innovative and real, real quick solving problems or creating optionality people that, that want to build or specify, you know, features and when you think about, you know, these kinds of skill sets, what you need to understand is like, how do I blend a team that has a balance of each one of those criteria? Um, often what you end up with is some big personality uh, comes in and dictates, but they're wrong more than half the time. And so that ends up wasting time and creates frustration. Instead, if you had a collaborative environment where everybody appreciated each other's skills and aptitudes. And, uh, and and you balanced, you know that innovator with the defender, or that uh, person that lives in the future, with the person that knows how to study the past and eliminate risk. If you could figure out how to balance those teams, magic happens. Uh, I, I think that's one. Are you doing something big enough? Is it changing the world? Is it is it big? And then two, how are you going to organize? Uh, people around it you know it's not about skills uh very very you know very little about actual skill more about how people approach approach the world you know
0: i love that and it sounds like with with torch you guys are um taking complex stuff and just making it more simplified
1: yeah i mean at, at, at its simplest how can i make more information available to people that need to make decisions uh, I mean, that's the simplest form, right? All of our customers are making critical decisions in their, in their business or their organization. And they need more information uh, with better quality, more trust. Uh, and How do you do that at scale? And so that's our, you know, we're, we're big pioneers in that. And, and machines can be used to solve all those problems today. You know, the world's solving the problem with people. Uh, but it's not a people problem. I mean, the machines have caused the problem. Machines can solve the problem, and that's our point of view for sure.
0: That's so cool. And just one more question on this is: then, do you is blockchain involved in this?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, this is you know, blockchain is this idea that that I'm going to, you know, trust a system um, as opposed to requiring some sort of. Uh, Personal validation, you know, and so we don't, you know, we feed systems that utilize blockchain because um, we're we make data available to technologies like blockchain, right? Um, but uh, but but I have not seen um, a massive uh, number of our customers embracing blockchain technology. Frankly, uh, I think it has promise, um, but I think there's there's you know there's challenges with it. Um, I, I would say that. Uh, what's more important to me and to our mar- to our customers is that they don't even have the information they need at their fingertips. I mean, if it takes somebody eight hours to go through a hundred and sixty page uh, PDF document just to extract forty fields of information so that they can do it the next step of a process, like that's where our customers live they' I mean uh, blockchain technologies and and metaverse and all the fun stuff that people talk about aspirationally are great, but man, people can't just get their jobs done today. Uh, Jobs aren't as fun as they used to be. Um, And so this is the part where I think there's a lot of energy and money flowing into these next gen ideas, but they're built atop a foundation, a data foundation that's fundamentally broken. and so, I, I don't know, that, that's, that's our focus. We don't get too crazy about shiny objects, uh, you know?
0: I had to ask, but no, I, I, I love what you guys are doing. And I think you, you are, you know, we have to solve, we have to take care of what's now before we can go to that next step uh, in utilizing those other things. And I think that's uh, a, a very critical in many ways. Um, and yeah, I appreciate w- with the work you're doing and so forth. How can people follow you, connect and, and see what you guys are up to and stay in tune?
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and I, I enjoy having people hit me up on LinkedIn. And if I can be of help, uh, give somebody some advice or nudge them down a path of, of starting their own company or solving a problem as a as a startup founder, or, or even just how to navigate uh, uh, you know their career inside a big enterprise that's trying to do you know innovative things. I'm, I I love to engage people on LinkedIn. Uh, you look me up there, and and I uh, enjoy that.
0: For all the listeners, I'll have all that information in the show notes for you. Uh, Brian, this was fun. I enjoyed the convo. I I appreciate your your wealth of information and what you shared and the lessons you learned and so much more uh, with us and everyone here at the, the Mindful Experiment.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Victor. I enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be
0: inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. Until next time, keep rocking and rolling.